Innovation Conversation, where we talk with researchers, inventors, and entrepreneurs about their work and maybe the next big thing. I'm Kate Jaraki from Colorado State University, and with me in the studio is Steve Porter, editor of Innovation News. Hi, Steve. Hi, Kate. Good to be here. Steve and I will be inviting some of the most interesting people in Colorado to join us here at KRFC. 88.9 FM in Fort Collins, to tell us about what they are doing in their lab and how it may change our lives. Yeah, that's what we do online every day at Innovation News, Kate. It's amazing how many creative people are working in the tech field here, especially in northern Colorado. Entrepreneurs are moving from all over to Denver, Boulder, and Fort Collins to be part of a growing entrepreneurial ecosystem. Colorado is rapidly becoming an important hub for innovation. That's right. Uh, Modern-day Fort Collins is now being showcased as a place of invention in an ongoing exhibit at the uh, National Museum of American History. Along with Hollywood in the 1930s, Silicon Valley in the 80s, the Bronx in the 70s, and other American cities on the space-time continuum, it represents how the right combination of people resources, and environment can lead to great technological and cultural changes. Pretty amazing honor for our little town. And since the spotlight is on the work Fort Collins and Colorado State have been doing on clean energy, we'll be talking with some of the researchers featured in the exhibit in later episodes of this very show. But before we get to solving global energy challenges, we're going to talk about something even more important to local culture. Uh, Bikes? No. Uh, Bands? No, but you're getting closer. Beer? Bingo! Those three Bs have been called the holy trinity of Fort Collins culture. And with more than a dozen breweries in town, craft beer is a big part of the local economy as well. So today we're talking with folks who are using yet another B word brains to build better beer from the molecular level up. So will there be samples? Maybe later. Our first guests are a couple of analytic chemists. My name is Jessica Prenny. I am the director of the proteomics and metabolomics facility at Colorado State University. I'm Dana Sedin, and I'm the manager of the analytical lab at New Belgium Brewing Company. New Belgium, by the way, is one of the companies featured in the Smithsonian exhibit. So Dana, what is an analytic chemist doing in a brewery? I mean, one is just we have certain regulatory uh, compliance specifications that we have to hit. So if we label a bottle that has 5.2% alcohol on it, we better hit that or uh, the TTB is going to come after us. So, you know, that's that's one of the main things that we do is just test to ensure that we're meeting any regulatory or compliance issues. Uh, beyond that, we certainly want the consumer to have the same experience every time they drink our beer. So we'll test for things like color or pH or even foam. Because uh, again, we want to make sure that if there is a beer poured for you that it looks the same, it, you know, everything about it is the same with your experience and that it's, it's quality too. I mean, it's consistent. Um, it meets your expectations. So if you pour an IPA style beer and that foam dissipates really quickly, that's probably not going to meet your expectations. 
Uh, more importantly than that, though, we work on flavor. So there are five chemists at New Belgium. Uh, we're staffed seven days a week, 365 days a year, because even if the brewery shuts down, fermentations don't ever shut down. Certainly beyond that, uh, we do project work. So if the brewers want to work with some unique spice or new hop variety, uh, we'll, we'll interact with them and tell them, you know, what flavors are going to be driven by these spices, or if they put it in on the hot side of the process or the cold side of the process, how they could potentially extract or favor certain flavors. Uh, again, just using very traditional brewing processes, we can go in though and tell them how to, you know, how to maximize certain flavors so they get the beer that they want. And how did you become a brewing chemist? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> uh, you know, it was um, really more serendipity. Uh, uh, I was getting ready to graduate. Uh, Coors had a job available that sounded really interesting. Uh, I got offered a job there as a chemist. And uh, 15 years later, I'm you know now at New Belgium and... It's been a, been a great journey, but along the way, I've gone back to school um, to get postgraduate certificate in brewing science and technology. Um, I've been very involved with the American Society of Brewing Chemists, um, and I've had various roles throughout, you know, throughout my career, too. So it, it's been great, um, but I am an analytical chemist just like Jessica, so applying analytical chemistry to brewing is a, a very interesting challenge, and I, I think I have a phenomenal job. I, I know how lucky I am to have the job I do as an analytical chemist in the brewing industry. So Jessica, how does a university research lab work with a craft brewer like New Belgium? What we focus on is mass spectrometry, which is a type of instrumentation. And we happen to use that instrumentation to study biological molecules like proteins and small molecule metabolites. And a lot of it started in, in our desire to just have some fun, analyze something that was a little bit out of the norm for us, and use it as an educational tool. So we initially did our first experiments more as a proof of concept or an illustration of our technology that we could use when describing the technology and workflow to students. And then the data just started getting more interesting, and our collaborations grew from there. So our initial experiments were really just looking at using our technology, can we tell the difference between different beers, which we were pretty sure we could. But it, again, it was more of a proof of concept. Um, but then we, you know, the results were so striking um, that we started to have conversations um, with other people at New Belgium, including Peter Bukart, who is the head brewer, um, who has a lot of interesting ideas about um, how we how to use um, technologies that are really outside of the traditional tools in the brewing industry to start looking at some of these these questions. And so uh, a lot of our initial work um, is looking at flavor stability. And so uh, the beer has a finite shelf life. And so we've been able to uh, do a various um, different experiments to look at how does the uh, molecular content of the beer change uh, over time um, and under different storage conditions, for example. Um, and so in the course of starting those experiments was when Dana came on board to New Belgium. And since Dana and I have a strong history together, again, we're our training and background is um, exactly the same. We came out of the same academic group. It was a natural fit and it was really exciting to be able to work together again. And so we were able to take those initial experiments to the next step. And we designed some really nice experiments that led to the development of a new assay based on one of the molecules that we detect using our technology that it can predict flavor stability of the beer. So we really are using our technology and science to build a better beer here in Fort Collins. 
Absolutely. What the work that Jessica and her team has done is traditionally you're going to use sensory to determine how long uh, a beer's shelf life is. And the good thing about beer is that it just tastes different. You're not going to get sick from drinking out-of-date beer unless you drink too much. Um, <laughs> but what Jessica's assay is able to do is speed up that process because if you use a sensory panel, you're going to have to go the whole shelf life because you can't do an accelerated sensory test. It's just not meaningful. Now, by sensory test, you mean uh, like people actually tasting the beer? People actually tasting the beer. So in New Belgium, we have a highly trained taste panel. I know that sounds funny, but it takes at least a year to become a trained taste panelist. And that's going to trainings every week and showing you have the ability and the acuity to taste the same flavors again and again and recognize those because um, they're not going to want you on panel unless you can do that. So we treat our panelists like instruments. But, you know, as a panelist, you start to get saturated after drinking maybe eight beers, you know, sipping eight beers, not <laughs> not drinking a full eight <laughs> beers, but, you know, having an ounce or two of eight beers, you start to become saturated. So you're limited with the throughput you can do. And also it's going to take the full shelf life, which could be up to six months, maybe even a year, depending on what style of beer we're making. And there are other assays for looking at flavor stability. There are volatile assays. There are assays that look at other complex characteristics of beers, such as the oxidation of beer um, or free radicals in beer. But you know what Jessica and her team came up with is really brand new in our industry because it's looking at the non-volatile side. We found it's really a phenomenal marker. Pretty exciting work, and it's a lot of fun, and it helps us grow as brewers because, you know, we learn more about our beer, but it's also really unique as scientists to have these great applications that we can work on, and it's so much fun because we're never going to have the, you know, million-dollar lab that or multi-million dollar lab in Jessica's case. Uh, but it's great for us to be able to go over and interact with them and learn from them and, you know, have access to that instrumentation. The unique part about the way we're approaching this problem is focusing on these non-volatile compounds within the beer. So most of the flavor that you're that you experience when you're drinking a beer are the compounds that are volatile that you actually are smelling more than you are actually tasting. And so these non-volatile compounds have been largely ignored or neglected in the field. And so our approach is really focused on those. The compound that we utilize in this assay is is non-volatile. We really don't know mechanistically how it's contributing to the flavor, but we do know that it correlates with sensory and it correlates with shelf life. And so we've been able to use that assay to develop a faster assay. So that's what uh, one of the things Dana was alluding to. So instead of going through the whole shelf life, we can now incubate the beer at a higher temperature, for example, for a number of days. And by tracking this marker, we can correlate that to the full shelf life. So if Dana changes something in the process or adds a new ingredient, we can quickly assess how that will impact shelf life. The good thing is New Belgium and along with a lot of the other craft brewers uh, throughout Fort Collins are very open to collaborating on projects like this. And that's going to be a big part of the success of the CSU fermentation program too. You know, we know that the more we share this information, the better it is for everybody in the brewing industry, which is great. 
So whether we're working with, you know, or Jessica's working with a really small brewery that has very few lab capabilities, you know, maybe a microscope and a pH meter, this can still provide value to them in the same way because they're going to want to improve their shelf stability. They're going to want to, you know, improve the experience of their customer because they're going to want to grow their brewery also. So uh, certainly being in Fort Collins allows for this and, you know, the openness of the lab that Jessica works in and uh, the ability to do this work, um, you know, the university's willingness to support it. And then really what it's led to, um, Jessica and myself, it's led to being invited to give talks at professional meetings about this. And there's a lot of great exposure, you know, whether it be publications or podcasts, <laughs> uh, it's it's great. And it's fun for us as scientists to be able to come, come out and talk about what we do because we're passionate about it. Uh, and certainly Fort Collins, it, it wouldn't have happened if we weren't in Fort Collins. I 100% agree with that. I think a big part of the reason this happened was just because of how much New Belgium is part of the community and the and the close close relationship between New Belgium and CSU and their willingness to just work on things for fun sometimes and embrace being part of the community. Does all of this have applications beyond just building a better beer? So this particular assay was not necessarily unique to beer. And we've been able to apply it to some other food products and beverage products um, with other collaborators. Um, and in the brewing industry in, in particular, we have an established relationship also with Anheuser-Busch. And in particular, their barley breeding program or their agricultural breeding research program that is based out of Fort Collins. And so most of the barley breeding relies on genetic markers especially in the early stages, and that's how they do their selection. And so they start with a, a lot of different barley lines, and then they slowly narrow that down over the course of multiple years based on certain genetic markers. Um, and then those go through some final stages for selection, and then um, before they even get to the stage of assessing the malting quality. So we were able to assess a pretty large population of barley lines using our molecular tools. And we were able to assess the molecules that we detect in relationship to the malting quality characteristics that the Anheuser-Busch measured for each of these lines. And we were able to say that, yes, if we see these certain compounds, that is predictive of this positive malting quality trait, for example, protein content. We were also able, and this may be even more importantly, is that we were also able to assess environmental stability. This experiment was done in two different locations. So they grew the barley in Idaho and they grew the barley in Montana. Genetically, these barleys were exactly the same, but molecularly, we could see differences. And so that's an advantage of looking at the small molecule composition in these types of applications as opposed to or at, in addition to the genetics because they're going to be reflective of environmental stresses that you wouldn't necessarily see on the genetic level. But as the new fermentation science program at CSU starts to develop and grow, that's going to generate opportunities and new ideas and students that want to work on these types of projects. And then we can serve in a supporting role to facilitate those projects and make sure that they have access to the instrumentation that they need. I think that's a really important point because I think people not in the university and not in Fort Collins think, oh my God, a university is teaching my kid 
about beer. But as I understand it, the first two years are hard science, you know, like organic chem and microbiology and learning to use instruments properly and that you don't even you don't even start brewing or for that matter, fermenting cheese or any of the other foods or different applications until you've made it to your junior year. <laughs> well, and I would say the science even gets harder after that. I, I, For me personally, I think, you know, getting through those base core curriculum are actually probably the easier part of it. Uh, you know, applying science is really hard. It's easy to understand the theory. It's easy to understand how an instrument works. But how do you <laughs> apply it to these new challenges and answer these really difficult questions? And, uh, you know, that's part of what they're going to teach in the fermentation program. So for me, I think the level of science will even go up. And uh, there is a lot to brewing science or fermentation science as a whole. Yeast aren't trivial. And you can focus on so many different areas. Brewing such a broad scope of disciplines. You know, do you look at the agronomics and agriculture piece? Do you look at the brewing piece? Do you look at the quality piece? Uh, even how materials can interact in a can or bottle, um, how things change over time. So there's a lot to it. And uh, I think Jessica and I will stay busy the rest of our careers <laughs> doing this work without issue. And I know it'll continue on. So I think as far as people sending their students off to get degrees in fermentation, it's a solid science. And, you know, whether or not they apply it back to fermentation or go on to graduate school or, you know, apply it to a different scientific discipline, they're going to be well suited for their future after it. And so being at a university like CSU, I mean, those students will have access to world-renowned researchers in all sorts of areas that are directly applicable, material science, microbiology, you know, yeast chemistry, like all of this is so important. The other exciting thing I think for the brewing industry is that because of close connections between the fermentation science program and labs like my own, which are really working with state-of-the-art tools, it provides an opportunity or a testbed for exploring new technologies that they might not have even thought of or that they might not have access to that someday could be something that becomes implemented in their laboratories or in facilities. And that's a unique opportunity that I think is really sets this program apart. So beer is chemistry. Beer is chemistry. Yeah. And it's to us. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, and I want to emphasize too, when people hear chemistry, I think sometimes they get concerned about, are we using an artificial process or are we using genetically modified organisms or anything else? And, and the truth is, I mean, brewing's been around for thousands of years. We're still using traditional practices. We might have better equipment that's more efficient, but it's still the same process. We just understand it a lot better. And that's what's really critical. You know, we're, we're just continuing to grow our knowledge and better utilize our materials, better drive to certain flavors, give people who love beer just a better experience. And, you know, the good thing is there's a lot of beer geeks out there, um, which is which is great. It's always fun to interact with people who have a pretty solid knowledge of brewing uh, and they ask great questions. And I think, you know, it's fun for them, just like it is for us to you know, show them what a state-of-the-art lab is and how we can apply it back to brewing and how we make better beer with it. But, you know, following these traditional practices and using barley and using hops. And, you know, I think I, I just don't want people to get concerned that we're synthesizing things in the lab and adding these back into beer because we're not in any way. And when we talk about stability of beer, again, we use traditional practices to improve the stability. Um, you know, it's just how we utilize our materials, where we add them in the process, things like that. And so that's the value here is we're not 
adding anything, but we're using these tools to understand what's happening at a level that we cannot see. Thanks to you both, Jessica Prenny at Colorado State University and Dana Sedin from New Belgium Brewing for having our very first innovation conversation. Thank you. Thank you. You know, Steve, it sounds like barley might be the building block for a better beer. And that's why next we'll be talking with someone who spends his days building better barley. We'll be back after this short break. You're listening to Innovation Conversation on KRFC FM 88.9 in Fort Collins. So, Kate, we know innovation happens not just in the lab, but also on the farm. Well, exactly. But remember, we're here to talk beer. True, and that's why we've invited Zach Gaines from Lima Grain Cereal Seeds, a multinational seed breeder with a facility in Fort Collins, to talk about their Acres to Ales program. The Acres to Ales program is something that we started to think about a year ago when we realized that we had something kind of special at LCS with a few of our new barley varieties, and we realized we were going to be able to deliver a new type of product more specific for craft brewers to breweries. We have all these farmers that we know here in Fort Collins, and we know a lot of folks at these breweries, and right now they don't work together, you know, and there's no connection between these two. You got two ends of a supply chain that could really benefit from each other, that could create something that maybe they can't do on their own and could deliver a local product. And, you know, the, the crucial piece we were missing was a malting company locally. And there's a couple of guys uh, named Steve Clark and Chris Schooley who started up Troubadour Maltings in town. And they're right over off of Link Lane, about two miles from here. And now all of a sudden you have a seed provider, a farming community, got some knockout farmers here in northern Colorado, a malting company, and obviously a very strong craft industry in Fort Collins. So you have all four of these pieces. And Acres to Ales is our way, and it's a trademark name, and there's a brand that goes along with it. But this is something we've created to give a name to this supply chain. It now exists in northern Colorado, and so it's going to be something that Lima Grain Cereal Seeds has created and made available to give a little boost to this local supply chain and give it a name. And, you know, the Acres to Ales logo is something that you might see on a restaurant menu, if you if you see that logo, you'll know that if that, that beer ties back to a Colorado farm. Yeah, I know that you have uh, connected with uh, craft brewers in four states. LCS Genie, which is our first malting barley release. A large quantity of it was produced up in Vancouver, Washington by Great Western Malting Company. And so when they produced this run before, and you know, and they do several different types of, of varieties and they'll blend them to make sure they hit spec for certain brewers. But before they blend it off, any of the genie, they sold me back 10,000 pounds of it. And so with this 10,000 pounds, we kind of just started talking to breweries and just gave it away. Just basically gave 14 breweries a chance to kind of test drive genie. Um, 11 of those breweries were here in Fort Collins and are guys that will probably participate in the Acres Dales program in the future. Three of the breweries were out of state, and the reason we chose them is because they're near some of our research stations in the U.S., I understand that took uh, three years to test and prove out, and it is was found to be a very high-yielding variety for you. LCS Genie was actually bred in in, the, in Great Britain. Um, it was bred in the U.K. by a Lima Grain breeder named Mark Blue, and he released the variety, uh, just like you said, Steve, because it's got high yield, which is what the farmers cater to. You know, it also modifies very well, a little quicker, which is something that maltsters cater to, and it has a higher level of extract, so... 
for a given amount of barley, a brewer will be able to make more beer for the same poundage than maybe what they're normally using. So it's really got a buy-in for all three segments of that supply chain. So we brought over a, a lot of these varieties, and we actually have four that we have on commercial production right now, which means we're increasing them. But Genie was the one that we thought would be most adapted to a broad spectrum of the craft brew market. And, you know, that three years of testing, that's us testing it and us also yield testing it with different university trials. But we've also tested it through AMBA, which is the American Malting Barley Association. And what AMBA can tell you is if your variety is suited for traditional domestic style beer, which would be a Budweiser, Coors, Miller, you know, light Pilsner style beers that use adjunct in the process, or if it's an all malt style, which would be a craft beer, something where you're using just malt and not adjunct to make the beer. What Mark Glue, the lemon grain breeder, is really shooting for is to try and find varieties that fit that all malt profile. Now, little did Mark know that there's a booming U.S. craft brewing industry over here that now, you know, collectively have enough of a voice in organizations like AMBA where they're saying, hey, how come nobody's breeding for us? Because the two biggest breeding programs for malt barley in the U.S. are Anheuser-Busch and Molson Coors. And they're going to breed barley varieties that suit their beer styles. So we saw this opportunity with Genie to kind of go in a new direction. So yes, add something to our portfolio, but also serve a demand of a craft brewing industry in the U.S. And fortunately, we're in a town like Fort Collins where we got plenty of craft beer. Yes, we do. And I was going to ask you just to explain for a moment, if you would, Zach, what adjunct means. Yeah. So an adjunct, you know, in any beer, you're going to have a grain bill. And essentially that is where you end up getting your alcohol. You know, first you get your sugar from there. And that's going to be a certain amount of pounds of grain that is ground up, crushed. And that ends up soaking in water and creates a mash, which creates a wart and which creates beer. So this malt bill for a Budweiser, for example, would maybe be 70% malted barley, which has starch for conversion. It also has enzymes, which help in the brewing process and nutrients which support yeast health later on. Now, in an adjunct style beer, you'll also add maybe 30% of rice or corn grits or wheat or something. Now, these are also starch sources, but they don't have enzymes. So they're essentially fuel for the conversion process, but they create, you know, a lighter, more crisp type of beer that you recognize as a pilsner or um, or a lager, a traditional domestic Pilsner or lager, I should say, you know, whereas an all malt craft beer is going to be 100% of that grain bill would be comprised of malt barley. So, uh, Zach, could you talk a little bit about where Lima Grain is from? So originally in 2010, our, our chief operating officer, he's a gentleman named Frank Curtis. Uh, he's actually from Britain. He was the head of marketing for the Lima Grain UK. Now, Lima Grain uh, globally is a seed company. It's a farmer owned cooperative seed company and uh, they have different business units all over the world. So when Frank came over, and this is the story that he's told me, he had about a list of 25 places that he visited. He came over here something like 17 times in 12 months, but essentially he said he needed to have three things for a city to be considered for our corporate headquarters. And one was access to an international airport, a place where somebody could be anywhere in the world in 24 hours if they needed to. Number two was access to a land-grant university with a talented staff, a place 
where we might recruit future talent. And then the third was it had to be a fun place where people wanted to be. So when he stacked up these three things, from what I've heard, Fort Collins was kind of a clear front runner for him. Great. Yeah. Colorado State University, they've been tremendous. You know, I personally, I attended Colorado State. I would say almost half of our staff have a degree from CSU. I mean, that's been a pretty important relationship for us. Do you have any plans to get into, like, anything specifically for gluten-free? It's something we're looking at because we know the market's there, but that is a demand without a supply in large part, at least in terms of barley. And I'm not exactly sure where they're at working on it, but I know there's ultra-low-gluten barley that's being developed. I've told our contacts down there, as soon as you have something, call me because there's a market. Oh, there's a huge market, (laughs) yes. You know, 10 years ago, if you had a gluten-free beer, it didn't taste much like a beer. I mean, you can make great beer with millet. It's millet time. I had to say it. I just had to say it. If you could drink a beer that was made with barley that traveled less than six miles in its lifetime, would you drink that beer? That beer will have an Acres to Ales stamp on it because we want people to know it. You know, in the Acres to Ales, when you see that, that's what it's going to mean. So we want to thank Zach Gaines from Lima Grain Cereal Seeds for being our Innovation Conversations guest today. Thanks so much for coming in, Zach. Thank you both for having me. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Thanks. That's about all the time we have for this very first Innovation Conversation. You can find more information posted at krfcfm.org. And at innovationnews.com, and that's Innovation News, two words run together with a shared N in the middle. Innovation Conversation is a collaboration between Colorado State University and Innovation News, produced at the Fort Collins studios of KRFC-FM. Theme music by More Than Physics. I'm your host, Kate Chiraki. And I'm Steve Porter. Until next time. So is it time for those samples now?